Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. That was a quote from Sir Winston Churchill. Good morning. Welcome to the Darrell McLean Show. I am Darrell McLean. Today is Friday, April the 3rd. The CDC has been preparing to recommend everyone wear face mask coverings in public. That's according to a federal official. Although President Trump said on Thursday that any guidance would be voluntary. The president said if people want to wear them, they can. Dr. Deborah Burks, who is leading the White House coronavirus response, reminded Americans that federal distancing guidelines were still the most important step to slow the spread of the coronavirus. The coronavirus pandemic has sickened more than 1 million people, according to official counts. As of Friday morning, at least 52,000 people have died, and the virus has been detected in at least 172 countries. There is evidence on six continents that sustain transmission of the virus. The CDC has advised against all non-existential travel throughout most of Europe and to South Korea, China, and Iran. And the agency has warned older and at-risk Americans to avoid travel to any country at all. In the United States, there have been 244, 159,000 cases and 6,257 deaths from the coronavirus. Some U.S. hospitals are beginning to report shortages of critical medications, especially those that ease the assault of respiratory infections. Medicines that alleviate breathing, difficulty, relieve pain, and sedate coronavirus patients are in very high demand, depleting the stock around the country. Demands for these drugs significantly increased in March as the pandemic took hold in the United States. Orders for antibiotics like azithromycin and antiviral medicines like Rivran nearly tripled. Medicines used for sedation and pain management, including fentanyl, Methazolam and Propal increased by 100%, 70%, and 60% respectively. Demand for albuterol, a common asthma inhaler medication, has also significantly risen, giving its important to eating breathings of patients with severe infections. At the same time, the rate in which a lot of these prescriptions are filled and shipped to hospitals has dropped considerably, down by half to more than three-fourths in the last month. That's according to a data collected by Premier Inc., a healthcare improvement company that provides groups purchasing analytics, consulting, and various services to more than 4,000 hospitals and approximately 175,000 other providers inside the United States. Just like we're seeing shortages of materials like masks and ventilators, medications are right there in the mix of the things that we don't always have enough on hand, said Aaron Fox, a drug shortage expert at the University of Utah. So we are not prepared for this kind of surge. Hospitals are in particular are feeling the pinch. In a recent survey of 377 hospitals and 100 long-term care facilities, home infusions and retail pharmacies Premier found that drug shortages were pervasive and acute care settings where 70% of respondents reported at least one shortage for coronavirus-related drugs. Among long-term care facilities, home care settings, and retail pharmacies, 48% reported shortages. Demand is even higher in coronavirus hotspots like New York, California, and Washington. One senior doctor at a large New York hospital said institutions like some others was running low on the drugs they commonly use to induce asthma and then paralysis in patients on ventilators. 
we're running out of all the drugs, the doctor said. So we're on the second line, the third line, the fourth line medications. We've run out of the ability to monitor these people the way we conventionally monitor them. So we're just sort of flying blind a bit. And with the peak in cases and resources still projected to be several weeks away, the run on these drugs only highlight the weakness in the current supply chain. Manufacturers tend to make just enough product and they forecast out in their manufacturing cycles based on how much they sold in the past. Nobody expects to sell, you know, 10 times more the amount of something, so nobody has that on hand. Now, even before the crisis emerged, the Food and Drug Administration noted shortages of well over 100 drugs in the United States, and the factory shuts down in China, India, and other countries may have exacerbated the shortage of some ingredients and generic drugs during this pandemic. Out of 21 antibiotics that would be critical for treating secondary infections in COVID-19 patients, 18 antibiotics have a greater than 80% of their supply coming out of either China, India, or Italy, all the places that have production disruptions. That's according to Stephanie Skaldmer, a professor at the University of Minnesota College of Pharmacy. They went on to say another factor that can affect the global supply chain is when countries ban export of certain drugs, either because of trade wars or because they want to ensure supply for their own citizens. India, for example, has put a ban on exports of 26 drugs and ingredients, and that includes hydroxychloroquine, an old malaria drug that is used around the world as a potential treatment. So politics is beginning to lay into the supply chain issues. The Democratic National Committee has moved its presidential convention to mid-August from mid-July. The event will be held in Milwaukee as planned the week before the Republicans plan to gather in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is the biggest disruption in the political calendar due to the spread of the coronavirus. The United States Navy has officially removed the captain of the aircraft carrier, the U.S. Theodore Roosevelt, who sent the letter saying the outbreak of the virus aboard his ship overwhelmed his ability to act professionally. Days later, Captain Brett Closer had sent a letter asking for help and using an unclassified email system. The Navy said that the email did not go through the proper chain of command and 30 people outside of the chain of command received the email, including the San Francisco Chronicle, who originally broke the story. The U.S. Theodore Roosevelt has now been docked in Guam. I expressed how I felt about this on yesterday, and in my opinion, this is a little bit like retaliation for the captain blowing the whistle that the coronavirus outbreak was happening amongst his ship and that there was no way to contain it because there is no way to maintain six feet of distance on a carrier. And the U.S. Theodore Roosevelt is a nuclear-powered ship at that. So the captain should be applauded for putting his career on the line for the uh, sake of his sailors and marines who were on that ship. And he, if not had um, spoken up, was definitely on the road to be an admiral. So um, I don't think that the captain at this point has been relieved out of the Navy, but he has been relieved of duty from the Theodore Roosevelt. Written notes from the meeting attended by CEO Jeff Bezos details Amazon's strategies to fight 
unit organizing as well as efforts to obtain COVID-19 tests and protective masks for workers. Leaked notes from an internal meeting of Amazon leadership detained by Vice News revealed that company executives discussed a plan to smear fired warehouse employee Christian Smalls, calling him not smart or articulate, as a part of a PR strategy to make him the face of the entire union organizing movement. He is not smart or articulate, and the extent that the press wants to focus on us versus him will be a much stronger PR position than simply explaining for the upteenth time of how we're trying to protect workers wrote Amazon General Counsel David Zopsby in the notes in the meeting forwarded widely in the company. The discussion took place at a daily meeting which included CEO Jeff Bezos to update each other on the coronavirus situation. Among SVP of Global Corporate Affairs, Jay Carney described the purpose to CNN on Sunday. We go over the updates of what's happening around the world with our employees and with our customers and our businesses. We also spend a significant amount of time just brainstorming about what else we can do about COVID-19. Zelpsky's note also detailed Amazon's efforts to buy millions of protective masks to protect its workers from coronavirus, as well as an effort to begin producing and selling its own masks. So far, the company has secured at least 10 million masks or operation guys, with 25 million more coming from a supplier in the next two weeks, Zalupski wrote. Amazon fired the warehouse worker Smalls on Monday after he led a walkout of a number of employees at the Staten Island Distribution Center. Amazon says he was fired for violating company-imposed 14-day quarantine after he came in contact with an employee who had tested positive for the coronavirus. Small says the employee who tested positive came into contact with many other workers for longer periods of time before the test came back. He claims he was singled out after pleading with management to sanitize the warehouse and to be more transparent about the numbers of workers who were sick. Notes from the meeting detail Amazon's plan to deal with the wave of bad press and calls for investigations from elected officials following the firing of Smalls. They also show top Amazon brass wanted to make Smalls the focus of the narrative when questioned about worker safety. We should spend the first part of our response strongly laying out the case for why organizers' conduct was immoral, unacceptable, and arguably illegal in detail, and only then follow with our usual talking points about worker safety, Zapsley wrote. Make him the most interesting part of the story, and if possible, make him the face of the entire union organizing movement. They discussed encouraging Amazon executives to use smalls to discredit the wider labor movement in Amazon. Employees at warehouse known as JFK 8 launched an effort to unionize in 2018. In the notes, further they wrote general agreement on this point among other attendees. Zapley's notes also mentioned SVP Worldwide Operation and Customer Service Dave Clark and SVP of Human Resources Beth Galetti. In a statement that Zaleski gave to Vice News, he said his comments was personal and emotional. I was frustrated and upset that Amazon employee would endanger the health and safety of other Amazonians by re repeatedly returning to the premises after being warned to quarantine himself after exposure of the virus of COVID-19. He said, I let my emotions draft my words and get the better of me. 
the message is fairly clear on this one. The employee, um, in his opinion, saw unsafe working conditions, reported it, and upper management seems to like they have coordinated a smear campaign against him to undermine labor um, uh, rights organizations who are trying to help the Amazon workers unionize. We have to remember that uh, Congressman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Bernie Sanders drafted the Stop Bezos Act, which forced Amazon to raise their wages to $15, um, the minimum wage. So Amazon has been under increased scrutiny for a while for some of the practices in their warehouses, including some workers saying that they don't get enough time to go to the bathroom and have resorted to wearing diapers at work. Former U.S. Labor Secretary Robert Reich said Jeff Bezos has L.A. mansions, has three saunas, two guest houses, a golf course, a tennis court, and a monitor court with gas pumps. His D.C. mansion has two elevators, 25 bathrooms, 1,006 light fixtures, and a movie theater. Meanwhile, he refuses to provide paid sick leave for all his employees. The former labor secretary went on to say unfettered capitalism is Jeff Bezos making $8,961 per hour but refusing to provide paid sick leave to all his employees. When presidential candidate Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders raised some uh, points about the worker being fired from Amazon and called the labor department to investigate, the former Obama staffer Jay Carney, who is now the senior vice president of Amazon, actually responded to Bernie Sanders using some of the language that was now released in the vice memo from the meetings. Some Americans could wait up to 20 weeks to receive stimulus checks, the IRS tells House Democrats. Americans won't likely begin seeing direct payments from the coronavirus stimulus bill until at least April 13, and it could take 20 weeks for the checks to be mailed, Trump administration officials told lawmakers, according to House Democrats, in a memo obtained by CNN. The timeline means tens of millions of Americans will have to wait to get badly needed assistance despite repeated earlier suggestions from Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin that money will go out as soon as April the 6th. Mnuchin said on Thursday the White House coronavirus briefing that payments will go out within two weeks to people whose direct deposit details are on file with the government, echoing comments he made this past Sunday after passing of the $2 trillion stimulus bill. He added that a web portal would be established for people to supply their details and checks would be sent to everyone else, who did not, uh, but he did not specify a timeline. He said, I am assuring the American public they need money now. CNN had reported back in March that the former IRS official said the wait would be likely weeks, if not months. Initially, the IRS will make about 60 million payments, likely in the week of April 13, for taxpayers who provide direct deposit information on their 2018 or 2019 tax return. The memo came out from the White House Ways and Means Committee, says. Three weeks later, on the week of May 4th, the IRS expects to start issuing 
paper checks individuals whose bank information isn't already on file and a process will take a lot longer. According to the committee, the paper checks will be issued at a rate of about $5 million per week and that could take up to 20 weeks to issue all the checks. Individuals with the lowest incomes based on adjusted gross income will receive their checks first. The Ways and Means Committee memo detailed an understanding of the timeline based on extensive conversations with the Treasury and IRS officials. It said the timelines are subject to change. The law stipulates that individuals who earn $75,000 or less will receive $1,200 and couples making $150,000 or less will receive twice that amount with an additional $500 per child. The payments are decreased for individuals and couples who make more money with individuals who make $99,000 receiving nothing. The congressional aides were told last week they were briefed by the IRS that roughly 150 million taxpayers will be eligible for the payments. But those the IRS estimated that they only had about 70 million people's direct deposit information on file. That means that for roughly 80 million Americans, the IRS will have to rely on mailing checks. Now, the Bureau of Fiscal Services estimate that they can cut 20 million checks a month, a familiar source told CNN. And remember, the checks may take even longer to get to people who the IRS does not have updated information for. The IRS, for their part, says they envision having an online system in place by late April, early May to allow taxpayers to update their direct deposit information and to track the status of their payments, according to the memo sent to the Ways and Means Committee. March unemployment payrolls fell to 701,000 and unemployment rate increased by 3.5% to 4.4%. I want to close the show today by letting everybody hear some uh, content that came out 15 years ago. 15 years ago. Perhaps Mr. Duncan was right in in suggesting that we may be overreacting, Uh, but I believe that the American people want us to be safe rather than sorry. I think they will forgive us if we end up doing things and spending money that in the long run may turn out not to be necessary Uh, if, in fact, we are going forward vigorously uh, to prevent what could be a horrible, horrible situation. I think we all remember or read uh, that in 1918, some 50 million people in this world died from an influenza epidemic. And I think it is beholden upon our country and and governments throughout the world to do everything that we can uh, in every way to protect uh, the American people and people throughout the world. I think Mr. Kucinich a moment ago raised some very important issues. And the issue is that our job as the government of the United States of America is not to worry at this moment about the corporate profits of the Roach Company or any other drug company, but to make certain that we are doing all that we can to prepare for what could be a terrible pandemic. Uh, I hope that in that context, uh, we can all agree that now is not the time to be tiptoeing around intellectual property rights or for letting bald-faced profiteering inhibit our ability to prepare for a pandemic. Roche is the only company with a license to manufacture and sell Tamiflu in the United States. They have limited production capacity and simply cannot make enough Tamiflu to meet the demand. The World Health Organization says that it will take 10 years 
for Roche to adequately supply world demand for Tamiflu stockpiles. We don't have 10 years. Unfortunately, Roche has also been dragging its feet about licensing other manufacturers to mass produce it. So, Mr. Secretary, you come from an administration where most of the American people know bends over backwards to protect large multinational corporations, whether it's drug companies or oil companies. Now is not the time to worry about the profits or campaign contributions. Now is the time to protect the American people. So what we just heard was Bernie Sanders was alerting the rest of government to the fact that in order to bolster profits, some pharmaceutical companies were going to be blocking other drug companies from producing life-saving drugs, and that that was, goes against the interests of public safety. Sanders warned that in the event of a pandemic that the profit over safety model would cause lives, and that companies were legally able to prevent preparation for a pandemic because of the donor-based legislation in favor of creating a monopoly on life-saving drugs. In spite the fact that they were totally unequipped to produce an adequate supply of medicines during a pandemic. So the people in power, the people in D.C., they knew, they had been warned for 15 years that if we allow single drug companies to create a monopoly on this drug and that drug, that when a pandemic happened, we would have a shortage. So 15 years later, we have a pandemic and no company is ready to handle the situation in the way we need. And that is it on the Darrell McLean Show. If you would like to support the show, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash the Darrell McLean Show. That is www.patreon.com slash the Darrell McLean Show. The show is also found on Spotify and iTunes and several other places where you get your podcasts. Thank you and see you on tomorrow.